We welcome back to the show today, the host of the truly brilliant Random Wrestling Review podcast. Ben Spindler is here. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm all the better for seeing you, especially after that wonderful introduction. Um, yeah, lovely. Yeah, really good to be here. Good stuff. It's great to have you back. Now, before we get on to our Mid-South Review, why don't you give our listeners who perhaps aren't familiar with you, with the show and with you a little rundown as to what you guys do? Goodness me, I don't know if anyone wants to know what we do, to be honest. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we there's three lads who've pretty much grown up together to be honest in particular two of us i've known well one of them i've known since i was a baby basically um and we randomly select a, a show at random randomly select a show at random that's the kind of quality you get on the podcast <laughs> is people just repeating words um yeah we pick a, a show at random from anywhere in history uh mainly well all of it's been north american wrestling to this point and i imagine that will remain the case for a little while well yet to give you a flavor of the variety we've gone all the way from 1984 right the way through to this year with the royal rumble be covered as well um and everything in between we've done nxt wwe wcw uh nwa ecw awa aw we've done a bit of everything really um and basically we we try and review each of those shows with a degree of fun and a degree of irreverence, I suppose you might call it a lot of profanity, certainly uh, <laughs> most definitely. And, and in fact, that's, that's the only requisite for anyone who comes on the podcast is to, to absolutely kind of lay down as much swearing as possible. Mm. And, but then also, and I, you know, I don't want to undersell us because we do also do some analysis of the shows as well. And we try to, blend the analysis as best we can with that irreverency um and i what i find with doing it is that because we pick our show at random and it's not entirely at random we tend to pick a show from that period point in time of the year if you like so in january we'll do rumble and you know wrestlemania in march etc but um we do pick lots of shows from all kinds of years and what it means is that you can usually pick something out about the show which is it perhaps hasn't been talked about before or is at least significant enough to talk about again um so we i i was really pleased with the rumble 22 episode that we did the, the recent show that happened the Royal rumble 2022 because i just think we we covered it from every angle we possibly could whilst maintaining that level of kind of humor all the way through and mm. sometimes it, you know, when I'm when I'm recording, it's hard to know how good a show is. Um, and then it's only when you come to edit it afterwards and you go, you know, you, I, I go through the whole thing and edit it really. I'm quite a, I'm quite particular with the edit. So I, I take a long time over the edit. And so I hear it all again. And it's only then when you realize, oh, it's all, it's all fine. It's all good. Yeah, sometimes yeah. you think when you're recording, like, oh, that was a bit, a bit awkward in places. That wasn't the best. So, yeah. Um, we, I, I just think we strive to get a really good balance. Sometimes we don't because sometimes, for example, we recently reviewed a Saturday Night's Main Event episode from 1986 and there's only so much you can say about a Saturday Night's Main Event episode. <laughs> they're fun, you think they're going to be really good, those Saturday Night's Main Events, and actually they're always a bit, the fake crown noise and all that. I think I said fake crown noise then. Fake <laughs> cr something altogether different. Fake crowd noise is what I'm, trying, I'm meaning to say. But they're, they're, they're just a bit odd, those ones, aren't they? They are, and they're very similar to one yeah, another. So we've yeah. now done five of them. So after a while, they get a little bit kind of like, what, what else are we going to say? So then you kind of slip into perhaps a bit more irreverence. But then mm. there are other occasions when, you know, for for example, we just reviewed, it's not out, but we've just reviewed WrestleMania 10. 
Oh, and great. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah. The good, the, the first 40 minutes, the good, a good part of that first 40 minutes is just us absolutely waxing lyrical about Brett versus Owen, which, by the way, is my personal favorite match of all time. Is it really? Yeah. So I do going that into yeah. that, I was already like, okay, well, we're talking about this. So this is going to be an event for us. Um, and yeah, it's so, and, but we're really analytical about it. So yeah, it's a, it's a random show. It's fun. We take a show every week and yeah, we, uh, we, we try to have some, we try to enjoy ourselves while we're talking about it. I think it's, it, it, I'll give it, give this some higher praise. So my podcast listening is pretty packed and you mm. guys have managed to find a regular space in my commutes uh, pretty nice. much weekly now. And you've managed to pop me in the car. <laughs> I'd say every single time um, one of you says something that is uh, makes me laugh out loud and makes my commutes much, uh, much more, much better places. And I do look forward to shows, particularly ones that I can, you know, can remember or something a bit different, like the AWA show I really enjoyed. So you do, do check it out and we'll, I'll tweet the links and stuff out. Um, Towards the end, there was something I was going. Do you know what? I've had, we talked about this off air. I've had a very long day today, and we're talking about quality <laughs> of the shows. I'm not sure how good I'm going to be on this show because I was about to ask you what I thought was quite a good question, and it's totally popped out of my mind. So hopefully, it wasn't that quirky. Who knows? I'll move well, on to my next question. It may come back. You, I tell you what, you you keep thinking for a minute. I'll I'll heap some praise on you, Stephen. Oh, go ahead. You, Thank you. You've come on our show, I think, three times now. Is that right? Uh, a couple right. of times. A couple of times. Okay, twice. Yeah. Um and. Uh, I don't just I don't just invite anybody to come on the show um and so you know that there, there are occasions when I'm like I don't I don't listen to a lot of podcasts I gotta be mm. honest I used to but I don't listen to as many as I used to and what I wanted to do is create a podcast where what we could do is you didn't have to listen every week you could yeah. just tune into the ones you kind of were like oh I remember that show or I've never seen that show but I'm quite interested to know what mm. what's what it's about um but because I don't want, I don't listen to a huge amount of podcasts. So I, I, when I do, it's got to be particularly good. And I have obviously listened to a fair few episodes of, of your podcast, the podcast we're talking about now. Um, and I've been really, you know, I've been really interested to hear what you say. And there aren't that many people. I, I got to be honest, I'm quite arrogant these days about my, <laughs> my knowledge and my understanding and insight. Really, insight is more the thing on wrestling. I feel like there aren't that. This is going to sound so bad, but I don't feel like there are that many people who've got the same level of insight as myself mm. out there. I just don't. I, and if I didn't, but honestly, if I didn't feel that, I wouldn't do a podcast because I'd be like, well, yeah, yeah. I, what's I, I the point of me speaking? I completely know what you're talking about. You see, you hear other people that have got quite a high profile and probably doing it for a living, and you think actually. You know, I probably if 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 time and mm. I start at this at a different time, and obviously we're always gonna be a little bit difficult to cover stuff as it happens in the US because of the time zone stuff. But you think, I wonder if I'd made that decision, or when I mean, obviously you got further with it than me. Obviously, I've been on TV and stuff, but you just think, oh, I wonder if life would have been slightly different had I done this because I feel we're ju- we're just as good as I'll put I'll I'll throw the royal we out there. We're just as good as some of the high profile people, and I think sometimes actually. We're probably a lot fairer in our analysis than some people that have got the you know the built-in biases to which there clearly is in some people that we can we can certainly name. Yeah, and and I listen to this podcast and I think I there are so many podcasts where I listen to them I go these are just three people or two people or one person or whoever who's just gone I quite like wrestling so I'm going to start talking about it and hope people will listen to it and I won't mm. attempt to do anything. There's no there's no there's no effort to make it good. There's no effort to you know make it perhaps there is no intro there's no you know i don't know how to explain it there's there's no there's no unique element to it yes this has got the a the unique element to it which you're covering something that i don't think anyone else covers and if they do it yeah i've never heard of it and secondly 
it's got you and i think you are an incredibly valuable resource that's why i brought you on to our oh, show thank you yeah that's very nice because, to I, hear. because as i said there aren't that many people i listen to i go that person's not only got a different perspective to me but i'm actually i actually quite respect it um and and you're one of those people so oh that's lovely so what a nice loving the start of this yeah uh, absolutely they're gonna be been, your, yeah. your listeners are gonna be absolutely sick i mean I'll shut up you twats get <laughs> on with be, all yeah, you want to hear throwing up <laughs> so I, I can't remember what the other question was so i'm going to throw this one out what are you what are you watching like we always do this when you come mm. back on so what are you, what are you keeping up with we're recording this what four days after the AEW pay per view that was pretty well received? What, yeah, what are you watching week to week at the moment? So we're still watching Dynamite week to week. Yeah, um, I didn't watch the pay per view, and I was thinking about why because I thought you might ask me about mm. it. And to be honest, obviously I can make the excuses. I am busy. I have got things going on in my personal life. I am doing the podcast every week. We watch a pay per view every single week, pretty yes. much. So that's quite a hefty. Um, amount of time each week plus i'm also been watching when i when time allows i've been watching back the episodes of raw from 1998 early 98 up oh, to wrestlemania 14 just because okay. i had a notion to do it and i've had a notion to do it for a while and i and i just sort of do it 20 minutes a night really before bed um but but if to be honest if i really wanted to watch that pay-per-view i think i would have done yeah, yeah. i would have made the time i would have found the time but I didn't. And that's another reason why I was so eager to listen to you guys talk about it. Cause I was, I'm not going to watch it. I've, just, I've mm. got to the point. I've realized I'm not going to watch it. So let, let me hear what happened and also get an, an, an idea of how good it was. But I just, I just don't think the build was that great. And um, you know, it's different. It's a different kettle of fish when you're talking about dynamite where you can go, well, I've got it recorded on a series link on Virgin. So I don't need to, I'm not committing to anything. I put it on. If after 15 minutes, I'm not feeling it, I'll just turn it off. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. The pay-per-view is an actual commitment. You're paying for it. It's four hours long. So you have to know you want to sit and watch a wrestling show for four hours. Yes. And I just didn't feel that that offered me a show that I was willing to commit that to. Mm. You see what I mean? So um, yeah, so I watch Dynamite every week, and I, I enjoy Dynamite every week. I, I do enjoy it, um, but I just didn't think the pay-per-view lineup was that compelling, if I'm honest. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was quite looking forward to it on, on paper, and I feel like I'm in uh, – we, the three of us, have all, we've all got different uh, – the three of us that did that show, we've all got kind of different tastes and different likes, and we didn't talk about that before the show because we really didn't want to know. I, I was interested to know whether they liked stuff or they didn't like it. I think I was thinking, oh, I bet he didn't like that, but he might have liked that. Mm. But I think that um, on the whole, we were probably far more realistic about that show than a lot of people talk, talking about it being you know, the best pay-per-view of all time and mm. Punk and MJF being this all time. Punk and MJF was a very enjoyable match. But, it, you know, I mean, I, I, I do. I don't know if you use grapple, but I do tend to do the old uh, match ratings and stuff. But I would put that about 3.75 stars. On. I mean, it's, it's a good match, but it's not like you might remember it for the blood, but you're not going to ever think, oh, that's, you know, that that won't be anywhere near my top ten match of the year. Not not even not even to top twenty five. Maybe not even top fifty. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, just, I don't know with AEW. I always kind of think that they don't ever quite get there on pay per view for me, which is frustrating. Um, like I watch a Stardom show or something, and, and I think this a lot to do with Stardom. And I said this on the show is that I haven't seen all of the combinations, so everything's new. It's a bit like when I first got into New Japan, like. 
seeing the first Okada and Tanahashi is like, oh my God, what a match, etc. <laughs> so all the stardom combinations are all completely new for me. Whereas AEW, you've kind of seen a lot of the people together where you've seen a lot of matches of that and you can Adam Cole and Hangman Page I haven't seen before I'm sure they have they have wrestled but you kind of know what you're getting there having seen a lot of Adam Cole matches so yeah I don't know I thought it was good but it wasn't it wasn't like blow away this is the best thing that I've ever seen it's the best thing since sliced bread well I think the problem they've got so I thought the Punk MJF match build was good not mm. amazing, not maybe quite as amazing as some people thought it was, but I thought it was, I thought it was decent. But again, the problem is, is they've had the, they've had a match against each other two, three weeks ago. Yeah. Um, the other matches, though, they're trading off of the names of the wrestlers rather than trading off the build or any issue or intrigue around what they might do. So Adam Cole and Adam Page had about three weeks to pull together yeah. a feud between them. And bear in mind, they haven't had a pay-per-view for four months. Yep. So why is it so hard? They should already have, you know, it should be six weeks out. You should know what the main event of this pay-per-view is yeah. and they should be building to it and it should be intriguing and it should be organic and it should be, you know, all of those things. Um, and that was the way I felt through all the crowd cards. So I was like, John Moxie versus Brian Danielson, the build again. Like that seemed very manufactured and just out of nowhere when they realized they needed to get those two guys on the card. And you're like, these are two, you're two of your biggest stars. You've got to be more organized about this and know where you're headed with these two guys at least two, three months out before the pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's the biggest problem. There's just not that journey. I'm just not going on the journey with en- en- enough of the time. I, and this is perhaps where you and I have a little bit of different perspective because I think you're much more into match quality overall. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm much more into the story side of pro wrestling mm. where the best scenes are the, the matches that come at the end of those stories. But I want that, that, that story to build into a really good scene if you like that match. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I just don't think the supporting scenes to build those matches have been anywhere near good enough. Yeah, I agree. I think the, the Cole Adam pacing is really interesting because Cole lost to lost Orange Cassidy and Orange Cassidy, you know, is a bit like Marmite, isn't it? But ultimately, why is he losing that feud? Even in an unsanctioned thing, doesn't go on his record, blah, blah, blah. He shouldn't be losing that feud and then challenging for the world title. That doesn't make any sense. And I do think one thing that they should, they need to do, AEW, is increase the number of pay-per-views, not to 12, but they, four is not enough. I think it needs to go to five or six. I'm hoping we might get one and that's going to be the fifth. Mm. But um, I tell you what, I tell you what, when it comes to that thing about them, course, so I heard that on your podcast and I did agree. But I think where I would have liked them to try and what I would like them to do is try and how do I put this? What they, they have got very much a habit of going, right, this person's in a feud. Mm. And they won't be in any other feud or in any other story or in interacting really with anybody else until that feud's done. Yeah. And instead, I would have been like, in January, I'd have announced Adam Cole as the number one contender. Yes, then have the unsanctioned match with Orange Cassidy. So he's already the number one contender. The unsanctioned match doesn't count towards that. You've mm. made that clear. Then he can still lose it, but still be the number one contender. And that could build into that whole intrigue. You could even have the week before the pay-per-view, Orange Cassidy sort of nodding to him, saying, like, I beat you a couple of weeks ago. If you win that championship match, I'm I'm coming after you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he doesn't have to win. Of course, Adam Cole doesn't have to win. In fact, that challenge, that challenge can go nowhere because it, it doesn't need to go somewhere. It just needs to give that little bit of intrigue and their little suggestion that Adam Cole might actually win, which I never believed for a second he was going to. Mm. So, you know, I think I think it's just be a bit more creative weave things in and out of one another you don't have to you don't have to pay off everything off within the confines of a feud you can have the feud start 
sidetrack them into something else, bring them back in, hint that they're going to have someone else added to it. You know, just be a bit more creative, like you yeah. know, a normal television show is, quite frankly. I really like that longer term, like, like the whole Rock scene uh, building it up a long time in advance. And also the other one that people forget is that the Rock was was signed to challenge whoever the WWE type champion was at Royal Rumble 13 for maybe six months. Yeah, that was the reason I went to it because I knew that was happening. <laughs> it was going to be Punk and Rock. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, this is if you can work it out, it's probably right. I mean, Ryback was the only one that nearly kind of spoiled that. But I mean, that's the thing. I, I do like that. Um, it's not. It's not that complex. I mean, I go back to. And I know we've spoken about this before, um, and we've spoken about that golden period in, in two thousand when WWE were just on fire storyline wise mm-hmm. as well. But that this that is the, is the example I give every time is the way they weaved Triple H in and out of feuds with Chris Jericho, Kurt Angle, and The Rock all at the same time, mm-hmm. and all three of them are going and. Each month he would face one of them or both both of them in some kind of multi-man match or whatever. And they were all happening simultaneously. And yeah. it led to big match after big match after big match. And all of them top quality. The match he had with Jericho on Raw in particular really stands out to me as just a real standout moment. But it wasn't like that was all he was doing. And that's... No. What AEW have got at the moment is you get somebody in a feud and that's all they do. They're yeah. only they're not focused on the title. If they're in a feud that's not for the title, they're not focused on the title at all, which is ridiculous. They should still be focused on getting yeah, to the title. Um, and they should have like other things should be going on whilst you know whilst these feuds are going on. You know they they're trying to build this Red Dragon and Young Bucks thing for a while. It seems anyway, or they've been kind of hinting at it. And I just thought there was a missed opportunity on the road to this pay per view again to add a bit more intrigue. The, the go home episode, I think uh, Young Bucks won their battle royal. I, first of all, I didn't think either Red Dragon or Young Bucks should have won their battle royals. I felt like you don't need them in the tag team title match. You could just have them against one another. You could have done that, yeah. yeah. Um, and not only that, but like having, but then what I would have done, having had Red Dragon go in and win their battle royal, I'd have had it so that they accidentally or on purpose, not sure, cost the Young Bucks their battle royal win so yes yeah then you've got a reason that they might now be loggerheads but they're not in the same match so they're still separate from each other and they could have had the thing at the end because they kind of they kind of tease this which was because i haven't watched dynamite this week but they kind of tease this before the pay-per-view that the young bucks weren't willing to attack hangman page because they're kind of like old buddies with him which is a bit and odd isn't it really it but, is a bit odd yeah. but why they what what they, if they wanted to go in that direction why didn't they just because the out the last thing that happened on dynamite was the red was red dragon and and um uh adam cole attacking page they could have come out and said look you've attacked him now that's enough yeah just yeah. added that intrigue at three days before the pay-per-view that oh hang on are the young bucks going to get involved here are they going to be the equalizer to red dragon and they could and and got to the pay-per-view and done nothing with that they didn't yeah. have to be involved but they could just suggest that it might happen and it just would have been far more intriguing so i just felt there was just no intrigue going into the, the pay-per-view no i can yeah i get that i think it's yeah and now we're in this kind of dead spot again where you've got too long to wait for the next bit and you're going to get interim feuds rather than just that i just think when they think when you think about it you've had omega and danielson on free television you've had hangman page and danielson twice on free television yeah that's throwing money surely that's right you've got i think you've got to have six pay-per-views a year every other month and then you can have rematches you can have you can have like the danielson and um moxley finish which is kind of like a roll-up-y thing it doesn't have to be like a schmoz finish but i think that's the way you can build rematches in the modern modern day it's not a definitive like 
Mortal Kombat style KO win. It's something where you know they they can build for build for the future. I just um, go back to that fact where they don't build the story strong enough mm. to sell the pay-per-view. Like the Orange Cassidy Adam Cole feud for me was more interesting than the Adam Cole Hangman Page feud. Yeah. So yeah. I think they should have built that to the pay-per-view because because that's more interesting because it's actually it's been built you've got a reason for, you know, they've got a reason to dislike one another mm. and i get that you want a title match on the pay-per-view but you don't have to give it to adam cole it could be anyone well you've and, got enough in there to give it to haven't you exactly yeah. and i think that's the issue for me is that aw are trading too much on the strength of the star power in the matches yeah. rather yeah. than the the interesting and intriguing scenarios that those matches create from just happening yeah thinking about it there wasn't too much i mean you're completely right about my taste in terms of match you know i'm more about the match quality than the the, the journey to get there yeah and i could forgive a lot like i mm. can forgive terrible build-ups some of the wrestlemanias i've been to but when you get there there's like an undertaker triple uh, uh sean michaels or something and you're like well great that that makes up for <laughs> randy orton being thrown through a window and all sorts of terrible stuff because it's i kind of it's worth it but actually thinking about really really thinking about it I thought Punk looked kind of silly in the MJF build-up because he just did. Mm. Um, and I thought that was a little bit too close to the bone for me. Some of the, the Moxie and Danielson stuff was interesting. But I wasn't like really, really into any of that stuff in terms of, I thought there was a few different ways it could go. But it was more, this is a wrestling card on paper that interests me rather than they've got me with the, the build-up, I guess. yeah. And, and that feud is was a was for me just a such a good example of how wrestling has started to give up on trying to tell stories and gone we're a wrestling company and now these two people are officially in a wrestling feud mm. and i just i hate that concept of the just this idea of right who have we got available right just somehow get them into a feud find a way to get them there organically so that it, you, you can't you, you you know it's almost like I, I, the, I've, there's a couple of times I've gone gone to this stuff, but the stuff with um, oh, what was it? I think it was CM Punk and whoever he was fighting in Team Taz straight after all um, after oh, yeah, all yeah. out. Yeah, um, it was so manufactured. Like CM Punk came out for a nothing promo, which was about nothing, mm. and then Taz randomly interrupted him, started talking about how he was talking about his guys when he wasn't. He hasn't been talking about them on screen. He may have been doing it on I social this. media. Yeah, yeah. But he yeah. hadn't been talking about them on screen. And then they came out and they challenged him to a match. And I was just like, there's a much there's a much more organic way of doing this, which is you have CM Punk come out for commentary alongside, um, not alongside Taz, but on Dynamite. Have him say some, mention some names whilst he's on commentary. And then the next week, Taz come out and call him out on it and say, why are you mentioning my guys? It's a very subtle difference. It's a very small change, but it just, makes it stops it from being a wrestling feud to a story yes and that's yeah, what i definitely. want i just want a more organic way to get to things and so as i say the brand oh God, i keep going dry and brand <laughs> i can't get it the right way around it's ridiculous it's been 10 years of calling him daniel bryan brian danielson john moxley feud for me was an example of that where they're like oh we got these two guys how can we just randomly manufacture this thing and they had suddenly oh yeah we're going to get danielson come out and just say he wants to be his tag team partner and i know now it seems like they're actually building they're going somewhere with that that's beyond this match but you know give it give it some thought how can you make it so that danielson even thinks that's what he needs to do or should yeah do, yeah you know? 
don't just go suddenly he that's what he feels like doing because it yeah, just doesn't... why is he where's the promo exactly. to say you've lost the hangman page what exactly. do you want to do next i've been thinking about it there's there's some things in my mind you know whatever have where you get there but there's a there's a promo missing there isn't there to set you exactly. up i think yeah and you yeah. then go on a journey with danielson forget the journey of the feud you're going on a journey with him mm. from feud to feud so you're not just going right that match that feud with page is finished so we put a full stop there. Don't put a full stop there. Put a comma, then a then a promo which addresses that match and what he's going to do now. Shit, he's not won the world title. Oh, it's terrible. How can he? Where's he going to go next? This is where I think. And yeah. then, so I mean, it just just give give me the journeys that the, they just the wrestlers that, themselves go on. They need that little bit of extra um, quality control, don't they? It would be remiss not to talk about WrestleMania um, quickly as we're um, what mm. less than a month out now. How are you feeling about the show? What do you think about two nights as well? I, it's been, it's funny. Every time I've asked anyone about the two nights, the response is usually, well, I prefer it to five hours on one night. You know, yeah. three, two, three hour shows is better than one five hour show. First of all, I don't think the two, I don't think those are the only two options personally. I'd rather them just have one a four, four, hour four, show. A four hour show yeah. on one night. But to be honest, I think I'd still rather have them a five-hour show on one night than two on mm. two three-hour ones. I don't like the concept of two days. I don't like the fact that New Japan do it for Wrestle Kingdom. In fact, they did three three days this time this year, didn't they? I um, didn't even watch day three of that. I'm that sure was thoroughly depressing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I just think I didn't even like it though when they did two because I, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of New Japan, but I did, I did for a few years kind of tune into Wrestle Kingdom, and mm. I just think that it just takes away all the specialness of it i don't i you know new japan as well they would have certain matches on the second night that were reliant on the result of the first night and this I, is it. i'm you like well you've got a one booking. night build yeah, you've got a yeah one night build for a match that you know is on the biggest show of your calendar yeah makes no sense i mean it feels like they're going that way i i got the impression they're going that way for wrestlemania with the women's title matches okay okay so both the women's title matches are on night one and i just that just gives me the impression that they're going to then build to a unification match on night two because they've the got winners, the men's yeah. unification match on night two anyway um and there was somebody talking about the fact that all oh, you know the um usa network have said that they want a champion on both shows and i was like well that still applies if you've got a woman's champion on one and a men's champion on the other yeah it's interesting yeah um and i've been long advocating for them to just have all the women on one roster because mm. You know, and it's actually after last year's Royal Rumble, which again we covered on on, on our podcast, I was like, they've got a they've got an in-depth enough roster now to just have a show which is for women only. Like they don't need to have them with the men. And I think about their, you know, it's a bit different now because they've weakened it significantly. But at that point, they just put Bianca Bella up to the main event, but they had Bailey and, and they had um Sasha Banks and Charlotte and Becky Lynch and Alexa Bliss. Um, and they're all and Asuka, and they're all yep. women that you would argue are main event level women wrestlers who could main event shows and main event pay-per-views if the women were on their own and they were given the the time and the focus that the men, the biggest men's feuds are being given. Hmm. Um, and, and they had a really in-depth roster. All of us on the podcast a year ago were like, I can't believe how in-depth and how, how much variety there is in the women's roster it felt like wwf in the early 90s like yeah all of the different characters were really well defined they all had different traits you knew exactly who they were like a minute into watching the show and i should 
I should say at this point that we don't watch the WWE product regularly and haven't done for some years. So we were just really impressed with it. And then we came to the men's rumble that year and we we're like, oh, it's a bit, it's a bit weak and it? it's a bit rough. <laughs> um, so I, I, I wonder if that's where they're going with it. But uh, yeah, Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns again. I don't know. I don't know how interesting. I mean, it's the biggest match I suppose they've got. Yeah. I, don't, I, I can't argue with that, but it doesn't feel WrestleMania worthy this year. It just doesn't feel like we've got a show. And this is the first year, I guess, that there's definitely no Undertaker. Seems like there's definitely no Triple H because of his his um, illness. We've got Austin doing a, a, a an angle, effectively, with Owens. Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, I didn't no, really no. want him to do anything. Really. I'd rather he did nothing. But if he's going to do something, there's a, there's a small part of me that kind of wanted a match, but... I feel like I wonder if they're going to do the Undertaker John Cena thing. And perhaps I'm giving them too much credit that Steve Austin's going to do a match, but he didn't want the build to be a match Mm. because he doesn't want the expectation. So if you you, you get a five minute match between them, a brawl, you're getting more than you thought you're going to get. But I don't don't know. I feel I have very mixed emotions about that because I spent most a lot of my 20s going to WrestleMania in the hope that he would come back. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like I thought, yeah. you know, we had 20, uh, there was one year when, when Hulk Hogan was, I can't remember the year that Hulk Hogan was strongly sort of rumored, early, like maybe 21 or 22. I can't, I can't remember. Not 20, I don't think. Um, but he could have, I mean, not perhaps you, I mean, I don't know about the, the medical testing and stuff, but in terms of him, he could have done a match then. No problem. Like we've seen him on tough enough and stuff years later, but I just don't, He's been so good in terms of not doing that. Not, I mean, think of the money that I was listening to a podcast the other day. Think of the money and the offers he's had over the years. You're talking about probably, I mean, crikey, 19 years of WrestleMania, 19 times two or three million dollars. I mean, <laughs> probably 50, 50, 60 million dollars left on the table for that. I mean, he wouldn't have done it every year, but mm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? You know, I mean, <clears throat> I, I funny enough, we we spoke about this on the on our pod a few months ago, a few weeks ago, sorry, when um all the stuff about Cody was coming out that mm. he was leaving AEW and Austin was um was rumored at that time to be doing something with Kevin Owens. And it, it really felt to me at the time that WWE had recognized that this year's WrestleMania looked a bit anemic mm. and they were like, right, what can we do? What can we do to just even generate some, some buzz around this? And first of all, Austin. And then I was like, well, Cody as well. I, I know that nobody considers Cody to be a star on the level of a WrestleMania headliner, but if ever there was a time to maximize your value from jumping from one company back to WWE since the fall of WCW, it's now because this yes. is the first time in 20 years where WWE have had a company that legitimately is got has got some buzz around it, has got a lot of people excited, can sell out arenas, can sell lots of pay-per-views, maybe not on the scale of WWE used to be able to do, but far, far in advance of what TNA ever did. Yeah. Um, and so, th- so they'll be thinking, well, if we can, you know, so I, I was under the impression that Cody was just making a really smart move. Now it doesn't, I don't even know if it's been confirmed yet that he's going there. No, so, but I have a feeling he might, by the time that people listen to it, I think he might have debuted on Raw because they're, they're in Jacksonville okay. on Monday night. So right, or last okay. night. So yeah. Yeah. And I just thought if he's done it, it's, it's a brilliant move because mm. no doubt he's in the strongest possible negotiating position he can be. WWE seemed to be desperate for something for WrestleMania. And he's, uh, even if, I mean, in terms of AEW, if you were Tony Khan, you'd be like, he's the least of, I would be happy to lose him. If I had to lose someone from my roster, 
Cody would be the one I'd lose. I, you know, all these other people are, are much more valuable to me. Well, than this is it. I, I can't remember what show I said this on. Um, but he's he. It's a it's a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit like Bret Hart in '97. What Vincent Mann was thinking. Vince was thinking Bret is was an incredibly good heel for that year, and then now Shawn Michaels. He'd always pick Shawn Michaels over Bret Hart which I completely disagree with, but that was Vince, that Vince was always looking for a way to slot Michaels in ahead of him. So Michaels took his top heel job, his top babyface role was with Steve, I mean, you know all this, with Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, now Cody is being booed by a big proportion of the audience. He doesn't want to go babyface. Sorry, he doesn't want to go heel. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you do with him? And creatively, he, he's got all these ideas for the kind of Cody-verse, as you hear, which, which usually stink. Brandy's there. She wants to get involved. Her stuff's even worse. So if you're Tony Khan, you think, well, well, there's much I can do with this guy now. The nail in the coffin for me with them was when Brandy did that thing with the American Top Team guys. Mm. She did that promo, and everything about it was horrific. Like it was, it was, it was was a horrific crowd for a start because this American Top, you know, what's his face, Dan Lambert, is a dickhead, but they're cheering for him because Mm. he's going up against Brandy Rhodes. I'm like, come on, play the game a little bit. But then Brandy Rhodes kind of kind of almost dug her own grave as well because she started doing the Stephanie character. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my fucking life. You've got to, you've got to not do this. Just do, do what are you doing? But basically I think Cody's at the lowest, he's got the lowest stock he's ever had in terms of AEW, but probably the highest stock he's ever had in terms of WWE. Yes. And he might be able to negotiate, negotiate himself a, a, a relatively friendly schedule now in WWE. He, you know, he could potentially as part of the negotiation at this point in time, come in and demand some sort of important match at WrestleMania. So it could be a really good thing for him, but it feels like if Austin's coming back, he must, they must be paying him loads of money because why, why else wouldn't he have done it before? Like you said, he's had 20 years worth of options and chances to do this. Why now? It's got to be paying a lot of money. I think money must be a thing. He's 57 now. Mm. Um, you think about it. He, what would he have been on in his top, his prime, maybe $10 million a year, perhaps with merchandise. Those, yeah. those T-shirts sold a huge amount, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So you think he had a lifestyle for a number of years that had that. And he doesn't do much now, does he? His podcast is gone. He does stuff for WWE Network. I think he's still doing a little bit of reality TV. But, I mean, he's still, I'm sure he's still being paid in the realms of our world what would be an you know incredible <laughs> yes. life. But not really when he earned $10 million True. in a year. I know he doesn't have the place in Texas now. I think, well, he doesn't have, doesn't have the bigger place in Texas. I think he's got a smaller place, maybe in Nevada. But I wonder if... This is it now. This is, I'm 57. This is my chance to earn $5 million in one night, maybe. I don't know. Perhaps as much as that, perhaps a bit less. But they, they can pay right. whatever they want. Yeah. But they, they not, can. They can. Yeah. That's the thing. And not, not have to do it in Saudi Arabia, you know, yeah. do it in Dallas. I yeah, think yeah. I think I think this is his pension plan, isn't it? So um, yeah, and they must. As I said, you're absolutely right. That's probably what it is. It's all about money. Yeah. Um, and I think the only reason it's not a match is because Austin still got that sense of honor and that's not right that's not the right word but just a sense of legacy you know and I, I think that's so big when you look at and i think funnily enough he will have seen the bret hart match from wrestlemania yes. 26 and gone that cannot be my last match yeah. i need to protect so and and he's had that he had a great last match so there's that sense of i don't really want to ruin did. that he i don't really want did. to ruin that yeah. you know and he also would have seen the undertaker ruin his last match again yeah. and again and again you know, every time he did, had a decent match that he could retire on, he then came back, did another one, and it was awful. Yeah. So he no, he he will be so wary of that that I 
I don't think we'll see a match. I think it will be just a confrontation. Just a conversation. Yeah. Do. I think if they promote it, Steve Austin's mind is if they promote this as a match, I need to do 15 minutes minimum of high level stuff. And I, mm. he probably hasn't got that in him at this stage, I don't think. Um, but he, he also worked a style that meant that he's, his aerobic um, kind of condition would have to be excellent because yeah. towards the end of his career, that's what he did. He, re- he worked an incredibly fast-paced style yeah. because he couldn't really work the wrestling style. And also it didn't fit the character. The character worked perfectly doing that brawling style. I'm not, like you said, I don't know if he could do that now because it requires just a level of cardiac conditioning. Yes. They probably isn't capable of doing. Whereas it, ironically, if it is stuck to his style that he had when he was more of a wrestler in WCW, he could probably come back and do that fine because it'll yeah. be a much slower pace. Yeah, more technical and a few more bumps. But yeah, 100 miles an hour brawling is tough when you're when you're 57. Is there anything else we should touch on before we get on to mid I'm trying to think if there are any other, any other big subjects that need to be covered off or should we get on to our, our friends in, uh, in Oklahoma at this point? Yeah, we probably should. The only thing that I wanted to say, one last thing, is I said we watched WrestleMania 10 this week for the podcast and... It's, it, I found it really interesting, completely out of, completely off topic, but I found it really interesting that the the legacy of Bret Hart, because we just mentioned him a minute ago, mm. it feels like it's like have gone through a, a rebirth yeah. in the last three four years, which is Good amazing time. to see. I it's really it. funny when I was when I first got into wrestling, nineteen ninety four, Bret Hart was the world champion. wasn't wasn't even my favorite then. Didn't you know? I was kids, didn't really know what I was talking about. But also, like, it, it just didn't stick out as my favorite, and it took me a long long time to accept that I thought he was the best ever. Mm. And then about maybe 10 years ago, or so I started to think, yeah, he definitely is. Because Brett Owen has always been my favorite match, yeah. but just I'd never kind of come to that conclusion. But now it feels like the rest of the world is now waking up to that, maybe on the heels of the, the praise that CM Punk keeps, keeps giving him. But it's strange that Punk seems to have suddenly come out and been like praising Brett everywhere. Yeah. It's really odd. Um, it's great to see, but uh, I, I'm finding it very interesting the way the legacy of different wrestlers kinds of peaks and troughs out of nowhere. Like it doesn't, I don't really know why Brett's suddenly getting this, this uh, huge spotlight. I've got a bit of a theory about this actually. Mm. So I think there was, there was obviously a lot, there were, you, there were a lot of people kind of backing down. I'm obviously a bit older than you. So I started a little bit, a little bit earlier, but I remember even kids at school, it's like, who do you like? Sean or Brett? It's always Sean or Brett, <laughs> Sean or Brett. And um, I think a lot of people held on to that. And Sean was, Sean's amazing. Like, don't get me wrong. I like Sean Michaels a lot, but I was always more of a Bret Hart guy. Then you fast forward. What, what are we now? Crikey. Uh, 20, 25 years. Where's my life gone? 25 Mm. years. I sneak downstairs and watch the Montreal screw job. That's awful. Um, so (laughs) yeah. So basically I think the thing with Bret is you watch his matches and there aren't, there isn't really anyone that does what Bret Hart did. The only person I can think of is Tanahashi in terms of his selling and his believability, and he's slightly flashier than Brett. But if you look at Sean, lots of people did Shawn Michaels better than Shawn Michaels did and have done. AJ Styles is one, a fine example. Osprey's kind of probably taken it even further. And there's a few, lots of other people in ricochets of this world. Um, Sean had storytelling ability as well, absolutely. But Sean's flashier style and le- perhaps less, slightly less believable is something that a lot of people have done. Whereas Brett, you could, I feel like you could pluck Brett out of where where his prime was and put him in any era, and he would have been like the absolute best. For me, he's the best, best, best. I turn it to Chris Eubanks <laughs> slightly there. Best, best North American wrestler of all time, and I, I don't, I don't think there's any. I think he's a cut above Ric Flair and a few other people that are in that are in that conversation. And I think it's so good that he's getting uh, 
yeah. you know, just desserts now. Absolutely. It's so weird. We watch so we watch WrestleMania ten, and there's the two matches. That matches that show is about two matches, right? Bratano and, and Sean yeah. and Razor, and we discussed it a lot because you know I I was quite defensive towards the Sean Razor match as well because I was like I there's a probably a sense that this is a bit dated now that ladder match because we've seen so much since. Yeah. But actually, what they do is so well done and so dramatic and the story they tell is really great that actually I don't think it matters. That they it's a fight do. with ladders rather than a spot Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But what's interesting is I think over time, more people now rate the Brett Owen match than they do the Razor Shaw match. But that Razor Shaw match when all the match of the, award, match of the year category yeah. um, awards that year um, from everyone, from Wrestling Observer, I think Power Slam gave the gave it the match of the year, and also the Kayfabe magazines gave it match of the year. So PWI, for example, and things like that. So um, it's just interesting that parallel between the two. I think you're absolutely right, though. Nobody does what Brett does. Like you can't, you just can't find it. And also, no. anybody, if you go, but next time you go, you watch him. Don't worry about his selling. Don't worry about his storytelling because they're amazing. But don't have to. You don't even have to watch them. On offense, there is no one better yeah. on offense in the entire world than Bret Hart. In that match with Bret, between with him and Owen, he does the best bulldog anyone has ever done in the history of the world. It's absolutely, it almost brings tears to the eyes. It's so good. <laughs> and honestly, it's just, oh, like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I said we spent 40 minutes talking about it on the podcast this week. I'm going to do it again if we're not careful. Yeah, I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. I love Brett so much. Like, listen to, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy to admit this. Listen, I love, obviously, I love CM Punk as well. Listen to CM Punk in tears talking about Bret Hart. Mm. I was like, oh, and I, I whirled <laughs> up myself. I was like, this is, I was talking to, there's a guy, Benno, who works for Post Wrestling. Um, and he was talking about like his big moment. Like he couldn't, he was such a big Ring of Honor, Ring of Honor fan and CM Punk. When he came out to the old music, that was his his kind of like, he. I think he tweeted, no, I'm not okay. And I tweeted him, that's <laughs> like, my moment for this is when CM Punk was talking about Bret Hart. But Bret, it's just about, I wish things had been different for him and not at 42, because you think he could have, you know, he could have gone on for, for a much longer having, you know, high quality stuff. But hopefully, um, you know, he made his money and he's, and he's still got a good, good quality of life and he's around for a long time. But I'm so pleased that he's getting, uh, you know, the plaudits from everyone that he well and truly, well and truly deserves. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I In fairness, it would have been great to see him for another four or five years, six years, whatever. But he he was around for a long, long time. There are loads of yeah, there matches. Are. You couldn't even make it for all of his matches, Stephen. No, I've got a PlayStation. Thing. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how many matches there are. You can sure, even yeah. do it. So yeah. I'm like, yeah, there's plenty out there. Yeah, I, t- I mean, you, you think about some of this. Like for him, the the, the stuff that even the stuff that um, not like top, top, top stuff of his, but like. There's a Ted. Di- there's an end of Survivor series of him and Ted Diaz. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Amazing. Him and Diesel. Him and Diesel. Him and Sid. <laughs> Sid in the December ninety whatever it is. Uh, December ninety six pay per view is yeah, good. Yeah. It's like that's Bret Hart. Like Bret Hart. Oh, anyway. We've got to <laughs> no, move on. No, no. Before you move on, I'll go. Before you move on, there's two things. First of all, the Survivor Series night match. The best thing about that is not any of the matches. The bit immediately after he gets pinned and he sits up and mouths the word "fuck." It's <laughs> yes. brilliant. Um, and then the other thing is, and you're like, because you just you're kind of like, it's real. It's it's, mm. it's bloody real. Like the, that's how, it with Brett, isn't it? It's just real. real. Yeah. And then and then the, and then the other thing I was going to say is we reviewed WrestleMania Seven last year, and. I think was it WrestleMania Seven? Yeah, WrestleMania Seven, and they're facing the Nasty Boys. Yes, yeah. Not a great match. Not a bad match. Not a great match. 
But he's just so phenomenal, even in that. Just everything yeah. he does is just phenomenal. So you could, you don't even it doesn't even have to be a top quality match. But his just what he does is yeah. just. I never liked that one much because they lose the titles. But then that has got, I think we've talked about this before, my favourite moment in the history of wrestling on that um, that show is Randy Savage and Elizabeth (laughs) reuniting. To the point I actually called, we actually had, my wife allowed this at the wedding. Our top (laughs) table was Randy and Elizabeth. Amazing. Table. But actually, you think about it, probably not a good omen, really, but we're still together. So your your um, wife is kind of, casually into wrestling isn't she from what you um i wouldn't say i wouldn't go as far as that i'd say she's she was to- very tolerant in her early okay. years of combining um earlier years of combining like trips mm. with wrestling but i think that the last time the last show she went to me w- went with me was the first night of the two night wrestle kingdom and she tapped out on the second night but luckily i met her um I met an English guy who's and I'm now really good friends with. So he came, we sat, he was by himself and we, he sat with me. But yeah, she was, I think she got a massage in the hotel room. She's like, I can't, <laughs> she was really, like the, the seats were quite small then. She, right. Her seat was really uncomfortable for some reason. So yeah, so but, she, she has done well. But I think I've been trying, I've been trying so hard to negotiate for double or nothing, but it's not happening, unfortunately. So yeah. But you, you've, the fact that she's gone to WrestleManias with you and Wrestle Kingdoms with you. Yes. Yeah. I mean, is, is way beyond. So my wife has, the, the most she's done, she bought us tickets to go to see SmackDown, I think, in Birmingham in 2014 when it was early. You know, that was about two, three years into our relationship mm. for a birthday, for one of my birthdays. And then also we went to a local wrestling show in Bristol, actually, um, in uh, Bristol, Bristol, just because you know it was in Bristol, so she came with me. But she doesn't really watch it. And um, and I've completely forgotten where I was going to go. I had I had some, uh, I've completely <laughs> lost the thread of where I was going to go with that, which is really annoying. But uh, oh yeah, no, that's right. So at our, wedding, at our wedding, she had unbeknownst to me when we went into the dining hall, she had unbeknownst to me asked the DJ guy to put Bret Hart's theme oh, on my. when we walked in. Wow! And I literally, <laughs> as soon as we got in, I was like, oh, what's this? And I, and I was like, this is amazing. And I was, uh, I was like, that's it. You know, you, that's when you know that you've made the right choice. You know, you're like, wow, you know, um, this is this is what it's all about. And so actually, that is just one moment I, I'm going way off topic, topic in terms of wrestling now. But honestly, I never believed that my wedding day would be the best day of my life. But yeah, yeah. it genuinely was. Everything that's amazing. It was, it was the most, even now I think about it, it's five years ago nearly now. And I've, I think about it, Man, it's so it was such an amazing day. Everything about it, and that was kind of the thing. One of the many things actually that sticks in my head is just that moment where I was like, "Oh my god, it's Bret Hart's theme tune." Brilliant. I wish I'd go back in time and insist on that myself. Now, <laughs> yeah, maybe my second second wedding. Um, <laughs> she wasn't listening anyway, so she won't get that. Right, let's talk about Mid South. Let's talk about yeah. Mid-South. No, um, alas, there are no original adverts this week. Um, there were like, like the, I don't know if you heard that show, but there were adverts like the whole hour with the 986 adverts. And I was obsessed with these adverts. It's one of the best things oh, I've man. ever seen. Yeah. It was so, so good. And also Coco Beware killed someone with a dropkick last week as well. Um, so yeah, Joel talked about that um, and then how he was going to be in the main event this week. And Bill pushed the Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup event at the Superdome on April 19th for the $1 million prize. Um, and this show would not be available on TV and you could only see it in person. And he went through some of the names that would be appearing in the tournament, including the Road Warriors, the Midnight Express, the Rock and Roll Express, Magnum and Dusty, America's team, Tiger Mask and Giant Bubba, Dino Bravo and Rick Martel, the fabulous ones, and the Fantastics. And he said it was the greatest ever array of a talent assembled. And then 
Bill said that due to developments in the wrestling business, in two weeks, they would be changing the name of their wrestling show. Bill said the quality of the shows have been a great source of pride and the expanding universe of their television network through syndication. And with their stars working all over the world, they needed a new name and not a regional name that encompasses all of their progressive strides. And in two weeks, they would have that announcement. So what did you think about the way Bill set out this news? And I didn't know this was, I knew this was around <laughs> this time, but I didn't yeah. know this was coming quite then. So much here, man. So much here yeah. to talk about. Like I, first of all, I had, I thought they'd already done it. I thought mm. it, before, before I started watching this, I thought they'd already made the transition to be, you know, UWF. So I was like, Oh, wow. Um, they're, they're talking about it now all of a sudden. Um, and then uh, then he kind of makes this announcement, but it's in typical sort of, and I don't want to be nasty, but kind of amateurish early 80s regional promotion style, which is kind of just thrown out there, not yeah. really made any kind of a big deal of, and also a little bit com confused because I think later on in the show or maybe in the following show, he says, and we're going to announce what the name is next week or in two weeks i'm like so are you announcing what the name is or is the show changing it like, what is yeah. the, what is happening here yeah, yeah, yeah. so I, it was just all of that was really really interesting and i was thinking when is it that he sells the company it can't be like it's back um, a year is it back end of 87 right okay i wonder whether or not that name change obviously it was because they were expanding but i wonder if the name change was more about increasing the value of the company as well yeah, I think that by uh, at this point he had this was his last roll of the dice to go national, and they had a pretty good syndication network at this point. But it just wasn't the, the, the thing that well, you know who who knows. He said himself on the show that the thing was that killed it was the oil, oil economy town, so they just couldn't draw because. But then, how much of that is because the WWF is on? For example, in the show I watched last week, there was an advert during Mid South for WWF at the Superdome with Junkyard right. Dog. Wow. So how much exactly exactly wow in New Orleans? So how much of that is because WWF over here has got Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat and all of that jazz? And actually, if you really like wrestling, you've got the NWO with Ric Flair and Magnum and all those people over here, which you can which everyone could get at that point. So actually, there's not room for there's can a stat. Sorry, God, and, you, and you've still got AWA, like that's forgotten, but you've still, you got, the yeah, AWA, you still got AWA, which, which yep. Only three or four years ago was the biggest promotion in North America, so exactly. it's you know, and world class is still running at the time, like it's a packed, it's a and Memphis is just down the road, yeah, and, and they're still able to pull crowds, so it is just a packed wrestling business at the time. It is not a lot of room to maneuver. We world class is still going on as well, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. We yeah. watched the 1986 Saturday's main event just recently. Junkyard Dog's on that show and you're looking through the talent and actually Bob Orton Jr. is on the show. He was in uh, Mid-South in early 80s. Yep. Um, and you're just like thinking, wow, you know, all these guys are over there um, and they're going to get more. So we, I know obviously a lot of this talent also moves over in the, in the not so distant future. And you're just like, how could they survive really? I mean, they were trying to offer something slightly different. I, I get that. They were trying to kind of, they weren't trying to, didn't feel like they were going for the wrestling audience either. They just felt like they were trying to trade on something completely different, which I give a lot of credit to, to Bill Watson uh, and the company for. But yeah, I mean, it was going to be really hard. So it, it sounds like that it feels like to me, you're right. It's probably both a last roll of the dice and also, well, at the very least, I've got to sell up. This will make the, the value of this company seem a little bit more because it's now not just Mid-South, this regional promotion. It's yeah, exactly. It's more of a branding that makes it more international. And he 
uh, from my memory, he because he sells, doesn't he? he? Actually, sells up to Jim yeah, Crockett. Yeah, he he was the smart one. Basically, he was he the was. one who said, "You know what? This isn't going to work. I'm going to get out of this while I've still got some value. I can still actually make some money out of this." And also, at a point where I'm not an enemy to anyone. So when he sold up to Jim Crockett, he didn't make an enemy of Vince. He didn't make an enemy of Jim yep. Crockett. Both so, of them, both of whom employed him later. Yeah, exactly. Later on. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The thing that oh, there's a stat, and I can never quite get the, the 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 years right, but there's a stat that always really interests me about Nash two national promotions making money, pro- making profit during the same calendar year. So obviously now we've got AEW and WWE, and they've done it. So pre AEW, mm. there was only four years in history where two proper national promotions made profits in the same year. I think it's eighty four and eighty five, maybe ninety seven and ninety eight. And, and that's it. So actually, yeah. all those years of WCW, all the shows that you guys review on the, on the thing, every single year, even when there's like a good year, like a 90 or 91 or 89, 89 is one I'm particularly interested in with the Steamboat series and the Funk match. It's all loss making. So yeah. it's like, when you really think about that, it's like these, these businesses, particularly WCW, because they're owned by a television company, they're allowed to go on for so long. You mm. see some of the tripe that comes out with like the Sting and Robocop stuff and like, <laughs> it's just um, it's just a bit nuts really that it was yeah. allowed to go and not run in a traditional business sense. So I suppose yeah. as well, it's like how much right now, obviously it's the, it's different because of the television landscape. But if you're, in a, if you're in a business where your television's not really making too much money and it's all about live events, could they really make it work? They couldn't. Well, AEW couldn't with the, t- the contracts they've got because it's, it's, they're paying too much money, aren't they? Basically, it does. It does feel that way. I mean, as you say, that I am fascinated. This is the bit that really fascinates me, if I'm honest. Is the business models of how these companies work. Mm. WCW in particular, I think, is a really interesting case study because they're very different. The point where WCW and WWF were locked in their war, their business models were so much different because of the ownership model. And in many respects, WCW were just a production television production company for Time Warner, yeah. which created content for them to put on their um, channels, which then they made revenue from for advertising. Um, so, but whereas WWF had to make the money from elsewhere because they didn't get that, they didn't get a direct ad- boost from the advertising. It was kind of filtered through USA Network, whoever who made the lion's share of the money from that advertising. So, mm. I, it's just. I find those things really interesting. And um, it's almost like to the point where WSW didn't necessarily need to make a profit. They just kind of had to, as long as they balanced out, they actually paid for themselves because of through their advertising. Yeah. And, it, and it was why in 97 and 98, when they were making huge amounts of money, they got given more television time because why wouldn't you? Here's a, here, here you go. You're already filling tons of television time getting loads of advertising in and also now you're making pay-per-view revenue and live attendance revenue and merchandise revenue on top of all of that yeah so um i just i find that really interesting but you're right i don't know I mean, certainly, I don't imagine AEW. I imagine AEW are losing money regardless of the television. Oh no, AEW! I think have made a made profit. Really? Actually. Yeah, yeah. So I I'm the, shocked by that. Yeah, I really am shocked. There was a key deal, and I'm trying to think of the timing on this. Um, it was, I think, it was just before the pandemic. They signed a, 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 an extension and an, and an up with Warner. Right. So I think, I think. I'm not sure if they changed. It was that led to the TBS change at that point, and that was later. But that deal turned them into turned them into profits. So they made a profit in 2020. But had they not signed that deal, I think just I think it was just for the pandemic. Then they would have been in trouble during that 
during that period. Are they, are they still there though? Are they, cause they've obviously added to that um, some big contracts. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. I believe that the, the deal with Warner's enough and the, and the, and the pay-per-view, I mean, they, I don't know what they average with dynamite four or 5,000 perhaps, but I understand that those shows, I mean, they're, they're probably pretty high. I mean, they're, comparatively those tickets would be a lot higher than a nitro or a you mm. know wcw saturday night taping or, or, or what would be now that i understand that the ringside tickets that madison square garden show the house show a couple of weeks ago which um was main evented by lesnar versus a mystery opponent that turned out to be austin theory 500 dollars to sit ringside at a wwe house show i mean that's just Man. i mean i don't and people paid it so like well, I, I don't understand it's that. a far cry from this because in the in the one of these shows jim ross says that you can buy a ticket for four, seven, or eleven dollars. Yes, which yeah. is just so so different. But no, I, I hadn't realized that. I I figured that AEW were making a loss, but Tony Khan was like, "Well, if I'm a billionaire. It's fine. Mm. It doesn't make a difference." But if they are if they are turning a profit, they're very impressed because. And I think what they've done well, and it's 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 interesting when you compare it to TNA because this is another why again the business model fascinates me. TNA used to attract over a million people a show. In fact, yeah. at a certain point they almost got up to about 2 million at one point in their their history. I think they may have done, didn't they? Or right yeah. right close to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And 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 which is more than AEW have ever done mm. on TV. But nobody wanted to pay yeah. to watch TNA. People really want to pay to watch AEW. So I I actually bulked obviously watching their pay-per-view recently, but a lot of people didn't. A lot of people want to see it. And a lot of people are interested in that kind of just pure match quality and the yeah. intrigue that surrounds uh, Brian Danielson against the John Moxley, for example, just because it's a match they want to see, regardless yep. of the journey they've gone on. So they've they've gotten on something really well. And they and you, they also have built up a reputation for delivering on at least giving you a long match, even if you know it's not perhaps booked the way you might want it to be booked. They have at least built up their reputation that you will see wrestling and that's still that sells. So, well, fair play to them, but I can't see how Mid South could have competed in the no, environment no. they were in at this. Because I think that their TV deals would have been, you know, split of ad revenue and no money from the station, and and obviously mm. Time Warner, Time Warner, the deal with them is is what's making them profitable plus the the other bits. But just we've we've touched a lot on AEW. We will get back to Mid South in a second. But I the, the thing with AEW is that that on whatever it is, they're pa- they're paying an inverted commas audience of let's say three hundred thousand people. They've not done that on pay per view, but they've done let's say one fifty to two hundred. So there's probably some that have bought and some that haven't. Mm. They from what I from the my social media bubble, they love it. They absolutely love it. Meltzer loves it. All that lot, other people love it. They absolutely love it. They give the, I mean, I, I, I think I give it seven point two five out of ten. They're all like, oh, great pay per view, nine out of ten, blah blah blah. <laughs> so, so for that section of audience, they, they, they really do love what yeah. this promotion is is giving to them, and they're going to con- continue to pay. You know, they'll continue to travel. I think they were doing particularly well for their um, double or nothing show at T Mobile Arena, which is a bit big. I think maybe holds thirteen thousand, which is a bit of a step up for them so um yeah hope i mean hopefully it continues because the, the the more you know we talked everyone's talked about this ad nauseum over years but two wrestling companies that are doing well is better for everyone really um well just to put that again into perspective yes. about how, how people are willing to pay so i think uh tna's biggest audience ever in terms of a crowd was about six thousand people and it was mm. in the uk and they yeah. did it once and aw do this about that nearly every week yes um it just shows you the difference in terms of what people are willing to pay for. TNA filled a gap in terms of wrestling content on television at the time. That's not what AEW are doing. They are they have a paying 
fan base who yeah. are very, very um, willing to invest time and money in the product. Yeah, most definitely. Um, back to Bill Watts. He said finally that all news wasn't wasn't good news, and on February the twenty eighth, there was a final confrontation between Jake Roberts and Dick Slater for the North American title and the TV title with Dark Journey suspended above the ring. Dick Slater won the match and was now both the North American and television champion. And we cut to the Sam Houston Coliseum with Jim Ross on the call for the closing sequences of the match. I thought Jenny looked really high up during this. And I was going to say, I'm pretty afraid of heights. Um, <laughs> and I wouldn't fa- I fancy this at all. No, nor me. No, no. I, but before I talk about that, though, I want to just go back to the, the segment with Bill and Joel Watts here. Because this is the first time I've watched uh, Mid-South emanate from this location wherever they yes. are now on the yeah. tv so previously i've only seen them back in i think it's um shreveport is it yeah this is at the tulsa fairgrounds pavilions yeah yeah um and so what i'm noticing is the production values have gone up significantly because they're now the two of them are sat there they've got a crowd behind them it might be yeah, I, I'm, I'm tempted to yeah say it might i'm be not a blue screen. sure about that either a green yeah. screen because because saturday night's main event do this where they have yeah. the green screen and i'm just wondering if it's a similar kind of setup but it looks good mm. and the production values have gone up and i think the arena looks bigger and it's better lighted the whole thing looks more professional big time but bill watson joel watts, joel watts let it down i think and i don't i know that sounds harsh to some people probably because it's bill watts but i think they really let it down they they are really quite amateur i think there's a especially during this opening segment when the camera's straight on them, they're both looking off to the side at a cue card. You can see it. They're not looking at this camera and the cue, you know, there's not like a, a cue card underneath the camera to make it look like they're looking at the camera, which is a really simple trick. They're, it's off to the side and they are, they're not very professional and not very slick. And I just thought, you've got Jim Ross here, mate. You've got Jim Ross on, in, your, in, in your employee. And I know he's not the Jim Ross of, you know, WCW in the early 90s or WWF in the late 90s, but it's still Jim Ross. He's still pretty buddy good, actually, <laughs> to be fair at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I, I'm sure Bill Watts wanted his son to be there because he knew, much like all of the promoters at the time, knew that they would have a loyalist forever until mm. they want, didn't want to do any more. But he's simply not good enough to do this. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. just not. Um, and it's just not like it was... So as, I, as we discussed previously, I've watched a lot of early 80s wrestling from world-class, from, from mid-Atlantic, mid-South, WWF. All of the promotions, with the exception of WWF, in fairness, are quite amateur in terms of mm. their presentation. Vince, as I've said to you before, I think is by far and away the best host of a show in that period because he's so much slicker, he's so much more professional, he's got much more charisma. So it fits, you know, the Bill Watts and God, what's his name? What's the what's the uh, uh, um, jo- uh, Joel is about? Or... No, the older the older man. Oh, Boyd Pierce. Boyd Pierce. Yeah, he's so, gone. He didn't. He didn't yeah. come from Shreveport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Boyd Pierce and Bill Watts back in those days fit yeah. because all the others are quite similar. Like Don Cano, um, not Don Cano, um, Bob Caldwell on Jim. Oh yeah, uh, on yeah. Mid Atlantic. He's quite bumbling and not particularly great. The guys on World Class aren't that great either. Um, but by this point, nationally, national television, WWF have got Gene Oakland and Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan and Jesse Ventura. And you're like, I, one of the comments I made about their WWF's national expansion is that other than Hogan, Heenan and Oakland and Ventura 
are the biggest reason why they were able to go national. Yeah, because they're yeah. just so good and they're so they're on the camera so much of yeah. the time, and um, and you then compare it to these guys and like, come on, guys, like, I need some I need some professionalism here. I need something, and you're just not just not bringing it. So I I found that really disappointing because I was like, they they got the look of this thing is getting better. Production values are there, bigger arena, better lighting, everything. And then you come to Bill and Joel, and there's just not that professionalism that you're looking for. It's almost like they were more uncomfortable, particularly Joel in this scenario. And I don't know whether it was the screen or whether he's literally on a stage with the crowd mm. there, and that's making. But whatever it was, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't quite working, was it? And mm. I and I and I've, I have gone ahead and watched a few episodes ahead, which I don't usually do, but so I can't remember can't quite piece it. But these folders and they're sitting there, and it's like come on guys like you know this is you know if you're being seen all over the place now you kind of got to nail this really um slater won this match coming off the top rope with a chain um, and that was it and joel said it as distasteful as it was the stipulations were what the men wanted uh, and joel said that as the rules in mid-south dictated that a person couldn't hold two individual titles they cut to dick slater along with dark journey by the arkansas river Slater said he, uh, he called himself the greatest North American champion of all time, um, but they told him he couldn't have both titles. He said his lawyers had changed that rule, but Mid-South were telling him he couldn't defend both. So he's going to retire the TV title and he has a way to do it. He then took the medal from around his neck and tossed it in the river. And now Mid-South won't be able to do anything about it. Uh, back to Bill Watts, he said that Slater did it without warning and that the Mid-South Board of Directors hadn't had time to formulate an official response, but there would be one. Uh, what did you make of this and seemingly the end of the TV title? Well, I mean, first of all, we now know where Austin got his uh, throw through the... Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, The Rock, sorry, got his throw the Austin yeah. belt off the bridge thing from. Mm. Um yeah, first of all, again, production values are an issue here because it's so bloody windy where old Dick Slater <laughs> is that you can't really hear what he's saying, which, again, if it was just the wind, it wouldn't be such a problem. But when, when you can't hear what he's saying, that is a big issue. Um, and also, like, this this title being a medal is a problem for me. I mean, maybe I'm just being overly kind of like, I know what I like, and, you know, it's not a medal as a title belt. Do you remember why this was? Or did you, did, I can't remember where we covered that. Or... No, no, no. So no. it was because of the 80, it was introduced just around the time of the 1984 Olympics in Los right. Angeles. Okay. But yeah. still, I, I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just not, it's just not on. Um, so I just, so those two things were a bit of a problem, but you know, I, to be honest, because we watched, we've got two episodes of the way we were watching, this maintenance here, so I understood what Dick Slater was trying to do. He's just kind of like thumbing his nose at the authority of the of the promotion. But then in the second episode, it makes no sense because they then say that he's still got he's got to hold them, I think, and got to defend both titles, and and he's kind of happy to be the two. I oh I got I was very spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm, right. I'm not sure you can have a, have a spoiler from the fourteen. You, you years can't. Ago, but... No, you really can't. You really can't. Um, so we've got a great advert next detailing that next Saturday on Channel 4, the Mid-South television show would be half an hour earlier to the prime <laughs> slot of 10.35pm. Yeah, yeah. Surprised me that in New Orleans that this is in one of their prime markets. And I mean, I suppose you could VHS it or, I mean, I guess it's kind of a, it's not really a good time for kids, is it? And I would have thought this would be a, you know, one size fits all for all family sort of show, really. Well, this is interesting as well, because I don't know what, um, the promotion we're doing at the time, but I went onto the WWE Network after watching these two shows, and there is an episode dated the same date as the second of these two shows on the mm. network, but it's Power Pro Wrestling. I don't know if that's a different show that they were also running at the same time. 
Yeah, Power Pro Wrestling is their second show. Mm. So you get all sorts of... I have a, We have reviewed a couple of Power Pro Wrestling, but you get really weird stuff. Like, for example, uh, and now all of these... Like, we've got these two that we're doing. I've got another couple of shows, maybe maybe three that are all together on YouTube. And then yeah. you've got a big gap for a month because they apparently a load of tapes were lost when they sold to Crockett. And they're yeah. literally gone. So unless someone's pops up with like them in their personal VHS collection, they're just gone for it, which is what these are. These yeah. are not the, these are these tape, but with bits cut out. Mm-hmm. Um, but God, I've lost my chain of thought there. What, power Pro Wrestling. Power Pro Wrestling. Thank you. Thank you very much. So power, one of the Power Pro Wrestlers I watched at the start of 86 had an AWA match on it, believe it or not. Right. Okay. And it was the masked superstar who came in for a few weeks and then went again. Um, but it was also, and he had a couple of old house show matches from like a year ago. So it's very much their second show. But it it, it kind of is in canon because some stuff happens, but it's mostly not, I would say. I, the reason I brought it up is I wondered if that was their kind of Saturday morning show, maybe. Yeah, I think in Oklahoma it was Sundays. But again, it's different everywhere. It's different everywhere, yeah. I just wondered if that was the show that the kids might watch because it might be on a a more familiar time. I don't know. I uh, Just a speculation. I know know reason to believe that other than, as you say, 10.30 is quite late. It is, yeah. most most, So a lot of the... um, Phil Phil Segal is one of of my regular guest hosts who's uh, in Oklahoma. He, this was Saturday, kind of mid to late mornings. Yeah. I think Power Pro Wrestling tends to be some, Sundays. But again, it's just weird. Syndication is just weird. It's a bit mm. difficult for us to get our head around. I suppose we had a little bit of that in the ITV regions. But yeah. I think one, I remember watching Home and Away at 10 past five on Meridian on cable rather than half five or 5.40 on the, the Carlton, as it was. In our, in our, would, you, would you have been Meridian or were you something else down there? No, HTV we were. HTV, Har- okay. Har- Harlech Television. So they used to be <laughs> HTV West and HTV Wales. Ah, we HTV okay. West. Um, yeah. So we were HTV, but the, actually the closest we've come to this kind of syndication is more recently when, and it's it's kind of died a death, but they, they originally in about 2013, 2012, came out with regional or local television channels that okay. were going on channel channel eight of Freeview. Um, and like, I think there were like about 40 different channels all across the country with like local channels. Um, and the reason I know about it is because I, I was, when I was working for WrestleTalk TV, they were working quite closely with some wrestling promotions and they were trying to figure out a way to effectively do the syndication thing. Um, ah, with okay. these things it never really came off and uh, i think in the end they kind of just used one promotion and did that across i wasn't really that heavily involved but i i kind of knew a little bit about it um so that's really the closest we've probably come to mm. this because you would have had like at the time ours i think ours was originally called made in bristol uh, i think there was a made in liverpool oh, but then i were, remember hearing about this yeah yeah, yeah. And then there was yeah. like, I don't know, like a um, estuary TV, which covered, I think, somewhere in Lincolnshire, possibly. Mm. I'm not, I don't know entirely. Um, and But you had lots of them dotted all over the place. And they weren't all the same company. A lot of them were different companies like, doing these channels. And as I said, it kind of died, died a death. It's still there. You can still see it. In fact, I, I was looking through the channels then, and it's still there. But I think they now just pretty much, so they're probably all owned by the same people and they pretty yeah, much just yeah. show kind of the same shows all the time in all the different regions. But right, for a right, bit right. There, they were they were kind of unique kind of channels all of their own. 
Yeah, it's just interesting, isn't it? Because again, it's a much smaller place, but we would have just had stuff at the same, pretty much always at the same time, other than maybe a little bit of local news. Um, back from break, Bill talks about the match between Terry Taylor and Jake Roberts and how it had divided the fans. Uh, we got the whole finish again here with Jake looking like he had won and then ending up losing via inside cradle. And Bill said that only on Mid South Television would you get such an exciting match. What do you think? I mean, basically, what happened? This is Terry Taylor got booed out of the building pretty much for beating Jake Robertson who's a babyface what did you make of the presentation here so it was weird wasn't it because babyface versus babyface which is um kind of a bit different was it was it babyface or was Jake Robertson absolutely babyface versus babyface yeah yeah. Um, even though it oddly in the build-up they went back to Jake destroying Taylor as a heel about a year before which was which was weird really because you wouldn't get that so much now or I think in WWF like if I don't know, Randy Savage, when he turned babyface, well, actually, hears him smashing the ultimate warrior over the head with a scepter, like, a yeah. year ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I, to be honest, I didn't pay this too much attention. I just said it looked good. I thought what, what yeah. I saw of the highlights, it looked good. I mean, I was like, that looks... I, I mean, I, I, again, I'm catching up a little bit at this point because I'm yeah. still not really sure who the big players are. But obviously, by the end of this episode, I'm realizing Terry Taylor is a pretty important part of their roster now and one of their kind of more, at least upper mid-card, if not headlining guys. And Jake Roberts is Jake Roberts, right? So he's a big deal wherever he is. Yeah. Um, so I was like, it feels like this was pretty important, but I, you know, I, I didn't take too much notice because I said I want certain, they do a lot of this, don't they? They start they do, the show yeah. with highlights of what happened before and sometimes difficult to know how significant it really was. Yeah, yeah. Taylor's only recently returned because he, he, he'd come back from his first sort of run in Jim Crockett where I believe things didn't really work out quite as anyone really wanted. And I suppose that's probably a feature for Taylor for quite a long time to come. Um, and next up was Taylor versus Mike Scott. And Taylor came out second and got an overwhelmingly positive reaction from this crowd. Albeit, I did think there was still a sprinkling of boos. Um, at, is that right? At 10 minutes? Cool. I've watched this so long. I feel like I watched it about six months ago. At 10 minutes, we got a glimpse of the rest. Ah, oh, at 10 minutes in the show rather than 10 minutes in the match. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I can yeah. understand this my own match- notes now. The yeah. match lasted a minute. It was yeah, a minute. okay, great. I can, I can understand what I'm saying now. We got a glimpse of the wrestling ring for the first time, uh, which was unusual in that it had a diagonal pattern with one corner blue, the middle in white, and the other in red, kind of in the style of a Stars and Stripes flag. Um, Bill asked Joel why the young men in Florida have such nice blonde hair and such nice tans, uh, but then Joel didn't answer, which is really disappointing. Um, <laughs> not a huge amount to this one with Taylor winning by flying at a forearm in 122. Um, do you know the answer to why young men in Florida have such nice blonde hair and such nice tans? And also, what do you think of this match? <laughs> I don't know the answer, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I too was disappointed by Joel's lack of uh, commitment to uh, an answer there. What I thought, so first of all, the ring, that was another part of the kind of production value that I thought, yeah, it's 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 brightened up. It looks new. It looks clean. You know, this is great. Um, the match, it was a minute. I mean, what, what do you want me to tell? What do you want me to say? It's a match. <laughs> but one thing about Terry Taylor is I just... Maybe it's because I know a little bit about who he is and like I've seen him talk out of character and whatnot. I don't buy him as a babyface at all. I think that I don't know if this is their problem here and why. And obviously, he was against Jake Roberts, so that's not going to dear him to the fans. Yeah. But I just don't find him likable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that. Yeah. He's just a, like, I don't feel like he's a fit as a babyface. I feel mm. like, you know, he is supposed to be like when. Bruce Pritchard talked about this, his character, however many years ago, when he was talking about the Red Rooster character on that. And he was explaining that, you know, Vince was kind of saying, you need to be the cock of the walk. And he took it kind of the 
too literally, if you like. Mm. And I feel like that's what he should do. He should be the arrogant kind of almost Ric Flairy kind of yeah, guy. Yeah. And it just I didn't didn't really didn't really do it for me. No, I I don't disagree actually. He he's I feel like I know it's only two years, but the two years between '84 and '86, when he sort of came into Mid South, I think things have changed a bit. And you are getting I, like one thing I didn't know, and this is a bit later, but I didn't know until I was listening to something the other day that Sting in his 1990 run was getting quite a lot of mixed reactions. And I feel like this was more because you didn't really get it in WWF because the crowd was quite conditioned, but other places you did you did get it, and it's always like a little bit of a shock, but. Clearly, and I know there were fans that always would cheer Ric Flair and the horse and wherever you were. And there were a lot more heel fans in these kind of not the mainstream sort of maybe more cartoony promotion. And clearly that's probably what's happening here. I um, wonder as well if it's not about cartoonishness as well, as much as the fact that what WWF had done in the, 80s, in the late 80s was cultivate an entirely new fan base of people that didn't watch wrestling before. Yeah, exactly. So they had no yeah. experience of who these people were. They didn't have any allegiance. It was just, you tell me who to like and I'll like them. Yeah. Whereas the Jim Crockett audience, or the WCW audience, was a much more traditional audience. Many of them would have been watching Mid-South or World Class or AWA or Florida or wherever, Memphis, whatever, and would have had their favorites from legacy favorites. Yeah, 100%. And really so... And they may also have known, like, for example, I don't know, Ted DiBiase when he was a heel in Mid-South and been like, if he had come into NWA, he'd be like, well, I don't like that guy because I remember him from when yes. he was a heel. Yeah. So I don't know whether that's part of it as well. They're kind of like, there's a legacy issue there that, that Jim Crockett haven't been able to get over. Which I'm I think sure actually, there is, yeah. I think that's the thing with wrestling now is that yeah. sometimes wrestling, you know, promotions want to want to position someone as a heel or a baby face, but because fans have so much history with those wrestlers that they'll make their own choice about whether they're going to cheer for them Absolutely. regardless of what they do on screen. And I wonder if that's just back when, you know, WWF were in this period, they just had a new audience. So the audience yeah. didn't have that kind of legacy to, to fall back on. Yeah. You tell me, you know, based upon what they do on screen, I'll, I'll cheer or boo accordingly. So it makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? To book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Eddie Gilbert's retirement was short-lived as he was up next in our television main event against Coco Beware. Eddie was announced as hailing from every girl's dreams, which always makes me laugh. Uh, Coco even got the ring announced doing his dance here, which I thought was actually pretty unprofessional and showed a bit of bias there. Um, Eddie got on the microphone and said he'd been watching him and he thought he was pretty tough. And as head of Hot Stuff International, he'd like to offer him a place with him Bulbous and the Blade Runners, and that's the first time they were mentioned on television. Coco refused, and we were into the match. Um, Bill on commentary said that Eddie was living off a lady, and that was wrong for him. And talked about a word beginning with P that described him that was four letters, but I couldn't join the dots there. Did you work this out? And is oh, is it pimp? Did you work this out? And is this something that can be set said on air in twenty twenty six? Is he talking about pimp? I don't. I got it. I gotta be honest. I didn't hear it. I didn't. I didn't hear. Oh, okay. it. I didn't. It didn't. It didn't. Yeah, I didn't capture this. I didn't realize that this had been said. Yeah, I suppose that would be living off a lady, wouldn't it? I, I, I probably. I, this is five episodes ago watching it, so my brain's totally scrambled for sure. life events. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure that must have been what it was. And I was going to ask, you know, because this is the thing with with Mid South. You do get, especially in the '84 stuff with with Russia, which feels a bit more topical now. But um, mm. he says a lot of stuff that you can't really say now, which is always a bit awkward. Yeah, yeah. Have you come across much of that in some of the shows that you've been? Has, has there been any particularly awful angles and things that you covered on your on your show? Because it's just difficult to have to deal with. It's like, do you ignore it? Do you do you, do you do you bring attention to it and then have like a almost like a um, 
like a like a warning or a, you know a, a, you, you give a bit of thought on it as why it's not acceptable. I don't know. It's diff- so it's difficult to know where to pitch that. Sometimes I just ignore it and leave it alone. Don't mention it. But it yeah. is difficult, isn't it? It's difficult, but I th- I think to be honest, I think. And look, we're we're also a small time amateur podcasters, right? So we're not. It's not like uh, gonna... I don't know what you're talking about. We're, we're both <laughs> smashing a hundred thousand listeners a week, aren't we? <laughs> no one's going to be cancelling us, no matter what we say. To be honest, are they? You Let's never know. Up. You never we're know. Just not big enough. But the other thing is, I do think that the whole the idea of cancel culture is overblown in terms of it's not actually as much of a thing as people think it is. Mm. And I think the people who do go on about it, um, I think they're. I think they're limiting themselves rather than I, I'm trying to make this clear. What I'm trying to say is that I don't think cancel culture is a thing. I think it's, I think people like to pretend it's the thing. I think like people, I think people who are quite privileged to be in a position where they're talking a lot, like to think of it as a thing, but you notice that the people talk about it all the time are the people who've got all the platforms to talk about it. Yeah, so clearly yeah. they're not being canceled, are they? Cause they're still out there talking about stuff. So I, I like to take it all on head on because I just think that first of all, this isn't really that hard either. Mm. There's one, like I was talking to my parents a, a couple of weeks ago and they were kind of like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know what to say and all this stuff. And it must be hard for comedians trying to be funny. And I'm like, it's quite simple. You just don't, you just don't punch down. That's, yeah. that's, that's all yeah. you just, you know where you are in terms of the, 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 your, the, the advantages that potentially you've had because of your gender or because of your um, sexual orientation or because of your age or because of your skin color or because of whatever. And you, and then you just don't punch down to the people who haven't had those advantages. It's really that simple. Um, So it's not complicated. It's not hard. And I don't think it's even that big a thing because as I said, all the people who claim to have been canceled seem to have endless numbers of platforms to talk on. (laughs) So what, so we do tend to, meet some of these things head on and we do tend to discuss them quite a lot um there was one in again that saturday night's main event show where jesse ventura talked about so there was a a bit where mr t was whipped by bob orton and rowdy roddy piper and it was a bit the visual wasn't great but then also on commentary jesse ventura says something to the effect of and i can't remember the name of the show now but it's a show i think from the 80 early 80s which is about slavery in in america right. and he says oh i didn't realize we were getting a reboot of i can't remember the name of the show now which is really annoying but i didn't know we were getting a reboot of that and we old man brought it up on the on the podcast and said I can't believe he said that. It's just just awful. Like, yeah. and I said, well, I don't understand why they haven't redone the bloody commentary if, yeah. it, because because not only is it not being done live, they do it in the studio after, and they put lots of post production on Saturday night's main event. But also, Vince is his boss. Yeah, Vince could just turn to him and say, right, we're doing that match again. We're, we're yeah. go- it's only a five six minute match after all. It's not like a lot of work. Get on and do that again, and don't say it this time. Roots. Yeah. Roots is the name of the show. Oh yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so we do tend to like we do tend to like hit upon those things. And one of the big things I'm really fascinated by is, um, both my two co-hosts have got quite a lot of sensitivity when there's ever violence towards women mm. on the on the shows. And I think it's really fascinating because, uh, there's there's a lot of there's a push from a lot of kind of people who are quite liberal minded to have more inter. Uh, gender matches matches because we're talking about a fictional world you can easily promote the women in the same kind of in the same skill level and whatnot as a as a, as a male wrestler especially if you can accept that i don't know um 
Jeff Hardy can beat Triple H. You can yeah, accept yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that a woman can beat a man. It's really not that much of a difference. It's not that much difference. of a stretch, is it? Really? No, no, not no, at all. No. Um, so that's so. I but I find that quite interesting because also that they're quite worried about the visual of when a man is attacking a woman. Mm. And we always take this on because we've watched an ECW show recently, which I think hasn't come out yet. Um, and it's there's a bit where um, Laurie Flinton gets uh, gored into a table. But before that, Steve Carino like basically calls her a whore and basically says all this horrible stuff about how she's putting herself over in the back and you know using kind of insider terms to call her a whore effectively. And I, the problem I have with it was not the violence against the woman; it's that the presentation of the violence against the woman was to pop the crowd. Yeah. That's and, difficult with that stuff or looking back, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And that's where yeah. I had the problem. Is like if the violence had been framed in such a way as this guy's a dick, he's doing he's the heel horrible. Doing yeah. And is and there's a there's a, in some way they're gonna get their comeuppance at some point in the future, either at the hands of Laurie or at the hands of Sandman or someone else. Great. But it wasn't, it was basically this will be fun. Let's let's call this woman a whore and then put her through a table. And it, that's effectively what they were doing. So again. To me, I I always take it on because I think there's a there's point there's a way to talk about this without you know without kind of offending anyone and also you know being clear about what is offensive about it. Yeah, I think that's really that's a really really good way of looking at it. Definitely. Um, back to Coco and uh, who we got Eddie Gilbert, isn't it? So five fifteen, a pretty good action. Coco hit Eddie with the middle rope drop kick and pinned him clean as a whistle. Uh, one of Eddie's henchmen, Taurus Bulba, then came out and attacked Coco. However, Coco fought back and drop-kicked Gilbert when he tried to hit him with the chair. Crowd loved it, and I quite enjoyed it too. What do you think of uh, Coco Beware versus Eddie Gilbert here? Yeah, really good. Really lo- lovely, fast pace to it. Excellent stuff. I hadn't realised that Gilbert had previously retired. Um, yeah. So I was a little bit put out by the fact that he got beaten here and was sort of shown up quite a lot on these, on these shows. But um, it was, yeah, it was... Something I was quite looking forward to because I haven't seen a lot of Eddie Gilbert. He sort of eluded me in my travels so far in terms mm. of what I've watched. And um, one one kind of observation I had about Coco is it feels very much like he has that Bill Watts has found his second joke junkyard dog. Um, not necessarily in terms of his wrestling style, although actually it's not that different to Junkyard Dogs. It's just he can do the drop kits and the stuff off the top rope, which Junkyard Dog didn't do. But his it's charisma and his energy is very similar to the Junkyard yeah. Dog, I think. And um, and it spoke to me of what's not rushing to find a substitute for Junkyard Dog until he found someone who could do it. And in Coco, he does appear to have found someone who could do it. The crowd really into him. He's really... Really, I thought he was just really quite a magnetic um, sort of presence. Not obviously quite small, so that's kind of he wasn't like he was impressive phys- physically, but just the way he handled himself and the kind of energy he had, I thought he drew the eye, drew the attention, and I felt like I can see that they can see in him. Mm. a replacement finally if you like for the junkyard dog problem is he didn't stick around for too long he's in within months so yeah Yeah. um back from break what's talked about the pressure on the tag team champions and how that was as high as being north american or television champion and he called the sheep herd as the most (laughs) anti-american english-speaking people he'd ever known (laughs) they were in the ring with ross and ross said they were looking for a tag team title match with williams and dibiase 
Butch said they were sick of beating American trash and wanted more American trash to beat, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. <laughs> I, Joe, you know I can't stand these two. I, I thought this was, the, I've watched so many Sheep Herders promos over the last couple of weeks. Mm. I thought this was shouty, not very good. Butch said he thought Williams and DBS had a yellow streak up their backs, and I just thought this was dreadful. Am I being harsh on these, or is, is this uh, is this fair? You're probably not being harsh. I didn't, I didn't particularly enjoy it. I didn't hate it, but then I haven't. I know what it, having watched a lot of the stuff I've watched previously when I was, especially mm. when I was doing my network stuff, where I was trying to watch every <laughs> match. Like the number of times a wrestler would come out and be like, "Oh God, this guy just does the same stuff over yeah. and over again. And it's boring." And I can well imagine if this is what they do, then I would get very, very tired of them very, very quickly. It didn't stick out to me, put it that no. way. There's one in a few weeks' time where they're, they're being interviewed by Joel in a hotel lobby. This is a clip that's floated around with uh, Jack Victory and like Jack Victory's girlfriend comes in. Right. And it, is, it is quite a well-known clip because I've seen it before. But because they're being interviewed in a hotel, they're having to be quiet. And the promo <laughs> is so much better mm. But this is, I just can't, I don't, it's just headache. Yeah, headache inducing. Um, next up, DiBiase and Williams were in action against Gustavo Mendoza, who was smoking a cigar, and Sean O'Reilly. We got the full entrance with DiBiase and Williams, uh, but no music still for our tag team champions, but they got a great reaction. What said that DiBiase and Williams had stuck together through thick and thin and were an awesome team. Williams got a huge OU chant while he was in and he smashed O'Reilly with his running body check. At 142, the sheep herders made their way to ringside with their New Zealand flags. However, they had Union Jack vests on. I guess they couldn't get a New Zealand vest. So just, like, <laughs> just, like, just, like, just get the Union Jack. It's easy to find. Um, Williams took Mendoza's head off the clothesline in two minutes and 10 seconds before hitting the Oklahoma Stampede body slam in 237 for the win. Um, they continued the beat down post-match and challenged the sheep herders to come in. And predictably, they did not. And after felt what felt like an eternity, they ended up heading to the back. Always good to see Ted and Dr. Death. Uh, what did you think of this match? Yeah, it was decent. It was all right. I mean, I the last time I watched a Mid-South thing on here, DBLC and Williams were heels, I believe. Yes, yeah. So, and, and the previous time before that, they were heels, but I was confused because the previous time before that I'd watched them, Ted DBLC was a baby face. Okay. <laughs> I, he, he's, he's flipping all over the place, this lad. Um yeah, it's good. They, they're obviously a, a very good in-ring combination with yeah. plenty of quality in terms of match quality. Um, it's a squash. It's, it's it, This is the bit where Mid-South, for me, it's, it's got a weird pacing, the, the, their shows, I think. They're kind of almost quite methodic in the first 10, 15 minutes. And it's kind of like, but but this, no, that's not yeah. my right. No, I know we you know were going there. It's kind yeah. of methodic yeah. and fast paced because you, you basically sit, sat there, sat there with Bill Watts and Joe Watts for 10 minutes, but they're doing all kinds of things. Right, we're going off here. And then we're going to show you last week. Then we're going to do this. Then we're going to talk a bit and all that. Then they have a really fast match. Then they have like another promo and another match. And then this point, they just sort of settle into a rhythm of just match, match, yeah, match. Yeah, match, match, all... match, match to the end, yeah. And they're and they're all kind of squash. They're all squashes as well. Yeah. Um, so they kind of start to blur into to each other a little bit. Um, I did notice that Mendoza is doing the traditional um, Fidel Castro um, gimmick. So they, I've seen this quite a lot in lots of other places. <laughs> so it's always a Fidel Castro character, no matter what, like, whatever promotion it is, there's always one of them. Um, and so that was nice to see. But yeah, I, it was fine. Yeah, it was. Fine. That's, I always do you know what? It's interesting because I've done so many of these shows now. And I always, 
you get like a 90 seconds of squash. Like, oh, so what did you think about this match? <laughs> why, why is it? Why am I actually expecting someone to come up with in response to that? <laughs> so I feel progressively worse. Uh, and I'm going to ask you that again in about a minute's time. Fine, go for it. Yeah, next up, we had Eddie Gilbert back out there introducing another member of his stable, the biggest and baddest Russian ever, Korchenko. And he was up against Ron Ellis, which is just a, not a very good wrestling name. I thought he sounded more like the landlord of the Queen Vic pub in EastEnders rather than a professional wrestler, Ron Ellis. Um, what did you think of Korchenko's look with the red T-shirt underneath his wrestling gear? It wasn't the red T-shirt, mate. It's the leg warmers on his feet. That's oh, the, the, thing the you berserker got. boots. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, they're not even just... They're bigger than the berserker boots. Yeah. They're like... They're ridiculously massive. <laughs> they look like the kind of thing that about 2003, 2004, you saw a lot of women wearing out on, a, on the town. Remember that period where they were like... Uh, I think warmers? I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They came back for like, because I think they were quite big in the 70s or 80s. And they, they came back in the early 2000s for, I don't know, a six month period, probably. And uh, and it felt significant at the time. That was the main <laughs> thing I got from this match from Korchenko. Didn't never seen him before. Um, don't, don't, didn't, don't know if he went on to do anything else. No, but, he um, didn't. He really didn't. I mean, could you, he, he, yeah, I'm not even, Joe, I'm not even going to ask you. I'm not even going to come back to you on this match because there is nothing to say. He had a little <laughs> bit of hair at the back of an otherwise bald head, which didn't look great. And neither did his standard of work. And he struggled to get Ellis up and then put him in an odd looking backbreaker before dropping him and pinning him in 128. So let's leave that alone because net, the next segment is historically significant. Mm. So we have a little Crockett Cup advert. Um, the Mid-South 10.35pm thing again. And then back from break, it's Perry Jackson and Steve Dole versus the Blade Runners. So here we go. The television debut of this new team featuring the future Ultimate Warrior and the future Sting. Uh, we've got some cracking futuristic music for their entrance. Warrior looks huge. Absolutely jacked. Because I thought he looked bigger than w these WWF run here. What did you think? Massive. Yeah, yeah absolutely he was huge. massive. Yeah, Humongous. Huge. Um, Gilbert was in there again and he was massive. I thought Gilbert was over overexposed in this show, to be honest, but he said he'd searched the world and he'd found the best tag team out there. Sting started as what said they looked awesome, but he didn't know on their athletic ability yet. And he made comparisons to the Road Warriors. Um, after missing a few charges, Sting got on top and held Dole feet first to the mat in a body slam attempt. We looked pretty awful for Dole. Warrior then tagged in and choked out Dole and dropped a big elbow. Um, as you said, I'd say he's much bigger than his WF run, a fair amount. Jackson got tagged in and he was beaten down by Warrior with kicks and punches, which I thought were just about passable. So that's a, that's a compliment <laughs> for Warrior here. Um, Sting then came in and hit a, a version of the heart attack and then pinned Jackson after what appeared to be some confusion in just over three minutes. They then shouted at the camera and did some flexing. So this is a pretty, I mean, I know these guys have been done a little bit of Men Memphis, but this is where they're known for their kind of, they're making their, their debut. And obviously Sting became quite a big star. So what did you think of the Mid-South first showing of the Blade Runners here? Well, first of all, when you said it was historic, I thought you were referring to the appearance of uh, the future member of Well Done, Steve Dole, um, <laughs> who was involved in this match, old Stephen Dunn. And also when when uh, Scott Hall first appeared on WCW Nitro, he was in the ring as well. Right. OK. Wow. Yeah. What a, well, what a legend. He is. Yeah, absolutely absolute legend. legend. Yeah. No, being serious. Very, very interesting. Very, very, very interesting. I, I think interesting because as well, again, it speaks to a certain degree of what Bill Watts is working with in terms of the talent he can get and yeah. can bring into his promotion. I dare say that if he felt like he had more of a pick of talent, 
they wouldn't be making their debut at this point because they aren't really ready for it. They're very green. They don't seem to be able to do very much. They are there because they look big. They look muscular and they look impressive ultimately. And, and you know what, like I, this might be a bit, this might be considered controversial, but road warriors were not that much different. Let's be honest. They did it. They weren't like a technically gifted tag team. They had a charisma. They had a great look and it sold massively so he's just going you know what i can get two big guys they look good i can get them in the ring have them dominate they'll get over and we're just you know the wrestling fan and base at the time as well are just much more predisposed to just accept that because it's about winning and losing it's about showing these people to be good wrestlers from the perspective of winning matches rather than match quality if you like yeah um yeah the, I so i just i just sorry but go ahead no, so I just find it really interesting that he is willing to put these guys on television, willing to make a big deal of them, when I think probably if he did have more of a choice of talent, he wouldn't be doing that. No, absolutely. I think this is a massive sign of the times. What's going on elsewhere? Road Warriors, super popular. Hogan in in, uh, in WWF. Maybe Kerry Von Erich, a little bit in world class. So let's get some muscle guys in here, you know, to help build our, you know, our national expansion. Um Last up on this week's show, Masked Superstar and Dick Murdoch versus Ricky Gibson and Tracy Smothers. And during this, Watts pushed hard the big show upcoming at the New Orleans Superdome. This match finished in two minutes and two seconds with a pretty bog standard clothesline from the Masked Superstar on Smothers. Um, I thought I had nothing to add here until Watts said that Murdoch was a former world tag team champion in the World Wrestling Federation, which was a little bizarre in the circumstances. I get giddy every time Bill Watts says WWF or World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> I don't really know why. Um, anything else to add on this? one nothing i didn't realize mirror had won the wwf tag team championships i guess he could have won one of the earlier versions of it because it wasn't like i think i think the 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 tag team championships as you and i might know them i think only came in in the early 70s possibly even a bit later um so and there were other versions of the tag team title before then in wwf so i but i don't remember what team he was in when it was I didn't know either, so I just looked it up. It was him and Adrian Adonis uh, between April 84 and oh. January 85. It's quite a long reign, actually, 279 days. And quite late. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that, that appears to be right on Cage Match. So this, is, this would have been probably his WF run just, uh, yeah, just before this run, I think. Yeah, it is. You're yeah. right. It, it yeah. Does, yeah, they they must have dropped the belts to the old uh, US Express or something. Yeah, it must have been. Because that US Express were tag team champions going to WrestleMania 1, weren't yeah. they? Yeah. 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 I didn't know that. That's interesting. That's, that's, that is interesting. Um, well, there you go. You lose them all the time. Yeah. Anything more on this before we uh, before we close out on this? Um, I can't remember what the date was now. March the 8th, 1986 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. Not at all, not at all. I think we've covered that in a good, good, good fashion. Good stuff. So what's then close the show talking about nostalgia night, including Killer Carl Cox and Danny <laughs> Hodge. And that is it. Um, so this wasn't the standard to, of last week, but still a fun show. So any final thoughts on uh, on this week of Mid-South Wrestling before you make your triumphant return next week? No, no, not really. Um, I think I think it's they've moved on. It's great to see that they've moved on from where yeah. they were. As I said, the first time I've seen them in in uh, is in Tulsa. Yes, um, and it is better. It looks better, and I just feel like they're so close. They just it's just Bill's got a thing about using his son, which I get because you know that's what they were all doing, and there was a safety in it. I completely understand that, but at the same time, 
you still need to your show still needs to come across as good and i just yeah. don't think joel in this role anyway is quite quite there no and i think he's he's unfortunately got a little bit worse actually since the since the streetport shows anyway ben thank you very much for putting on the show um i'm very pleased as i said that you'll be back next week and until then thank you very much for listening and we should chat to you all again very very soon thank you very much for listening to the show if you've enjoyed it why not head over to Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button, follow on Spotify or press whatever you need to where you listen to this show to receive the episodes as soon as they are released. We love reviews at Mid-South Moments, so why don't you make my day by leaving a five-star rating? Also, if you're interested in guest hosting in the future, please do reach out at Mid Moments on Twitter and I look forward to speaking with you all again very, very soon.